so in uh, in parts of Italy, there used to be, and maybe there still is, I'm not sure, a custom observed every new year where they clear out all the streets and amidst laughter and music and fireworks, um, people throw out of their windows old crockery, detested ornaments, hated furniture, and a whole catalog of personal possessions which remind them of some bad thing that they're determined to forget. And I think that's a really intriguing idea, not just because it keeps us from accumulating too much stuff, uh, but there really is a kind of a joy in turning from the past and looking to the future. Of course, if I did that in my house, whatever went out the window would end up in my yard, and I'd still have to deal with it. I might as well just carry it out the door and then uh, take it to the dump. It wouldn't have the same effect as if your house was built right on the street. And, and I'm not saying we ought to do it here. I mean, e- even where it might work better than at my house, uh, somebody still has to clean that mess up, right? But it really is a kind of graphic illustration of what the new year can mean. Uh, a turning from the inadequacies and failures of the past to a hope for better things to come. And in our culture, the way we bring in the new year is, I mean, often we do this. People everywhere seem to be making resolutions. Uh, well, at least I hope they are. I mean, it's certainly been part of our history. We haven't quite abandoned the idea yet, have we? <laughs> Maybe we have, we're getting there closer, I know that. And I think it's really a sad thing. There really are so many people today who mock the whole idea of trying to do better. And for them, New Year's is just an excuse to indulge themselves, and they don't really need another excuse to do that. That old understanding was at least healthy, right? I mean, it it couldn't help but bring some improvement, both personally and culturally. At the very least, it reminded us that we have not yet arrived and that we need improvement. And what people are substituting for that is simply a diseased apathy. There's a problem, though, with making resolutions. I want to talk about that in a moment. And I want to acknowledge that there's this natural longing in us to improve ourselves. It's normal. Uh, There is, I think, deep in in the human heart, unless a person's heart has turned to stone and his or her conscience has been seared, there is a desire put there by God to cast off imperfection if we can and become a better person than we are now if we can. And that's what New Year represents, or it ought to. It's what's it's represented in our nation historically. And it ought to still, it ought to turn our thoughts to a kind of a new beginning. And there really is biblical warrant for it. The Bible supports and approves of a good celebration of New Year. I mean, the creation itself testifies to new beginnings, doesn't it? I mean, God designed our world so that as our planet travels around the sun, it experiences seasons. It's God's design. After the cold and dormant winter comes the new beginning, the rebirth of spring. The idea of the new year is built right into the creation. And then the nation of Israel celebrated a new year every year, corresponding to the exodus. 
When God led his people out of the land of slavery to a new beginning in the promised land. In the past, churches would hold watch night services where they would all gather for prayer and worship on New Year's Eve to bring in the new year. They would observe communion after midnight and some would stay all night for prayer while others went home to bed. Now it's true that some churches have turned their back on on such celebrations. They've they've seen the abuses uh, that different human societies uh, um, have at times like that. They don't want no part of it, and neither do I. So I'm going to celebrate New Year's in a way that honors God. And, And then, too, there is this promise, isn't there, in the Bible, of another new beginning yet to come? Uh, a a place where there will never be a need for any more do-overs at all. When God will create a new heaven and a new earth where everything will be new and clean and bright and it will keep on just getting better and better and better. A place where sin will never again cast a shadow. Until then, I think we ought to keep each new year in a way that pleases God and looks forward to a better day. Let's remember that we haven't arrived yet. So let's press on to the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Which brings me back to the idea of resolutions and the problems that you might have in making them. And the first problem, and I'm not going to spend any real time here. I'm really only going to kind of mention it. But it has to do with our thought processes, uh, what they are when we make such resolutions. And what I mean is, if we think of a resolution, that we can keep it in our own strength. We have, in essence, put ourselves back under a kind of a law. And history and our own experience tells us that we're setting ourselves up for failure. Now, if, if we confess our failures and our sins to God... We confess the mass, and if we ask for his grace in the coming year as we, as we start out anew, then, then when we do that, we're really, we're walking by faith. We're trusting God to help us to overcome some besetting sin in our own life. And that's a good thing. It honors God and it recognizes our need. Which brings us to the second problem that we face whenever we do resolutions of any kind. And that is, is we're going to fail. It doesn't have to be a complete failure, but we're going to stumble. We're going to break our resolution. And for that reason, maybe we ought not even call it a resolution because we are not quite so full of the resolve as we might wish we were. Maybe we ought to just call it our goal. But whatever you call it, you certainly will fail. You certainly will stumble sometimes. And you don't want at those times to wait a whole year to start over, do you? At least you shouldn't. And so I've got good news for you. You don't have to wait. (laughs) The, The new year is a good reminder that God is all for new beginnings. It's a good reminder that we need them. But God is generous. And he offers us a new beginning at every place in our journey where we find that we need one. His mercies are new every morning. And that's what our text tells us today. 
We find it in the Old Testament in the book of Lamentations. <laughs> you know, imagine that for the name of a book, right? <laughs> it, it, it's not one of most people's uh, favorite books. It has five long chapters rehearsing a multitude of woes and sorrows and calamities which came upon the nation of Israel because they turned from God and uh, they, they didn't repent of their sin. But right in the very middle of that book, in the midst of all of that sadness, there's this kind of diamond among the coal and it shines all the brighter in the darkness that surrounds it. Let me read it to you. It's found in chapter 3, verses 22 and 23, and this is what it says. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You know, what a beautiful passage. God's compassions, his mercies, never fail. But we do. We fail, we sin, we continue to stumble and fall. We do things we ought not to do, and then we fail to do the things that we should do, and yet God doesn't change. His compassions don't fail. They are new every morning. So with the rising of every sun, with the start of every day, God's mercy is renewed. In, in the darkness of our life because of sin, in the dark times in our lives because of our failures, when we remember that God is there, he's offering us a new beginning that we so desperately need. It really becomes like a sun rising in our life, and it chases away the darkness that we experience. Each day holds a promise for the new. Do you know what else it does? It seals the lid on the tomb of yesterday. Yesterday's not coming again. All we have is today and the tomorrows which God gives us. And yet in all of our todays and all of our tomorrows, God offers us his mercy, his compassion, which never fails. He offers us a new beginning, and we need that truth. We need to hear that truth. We need to know that truth. We need that truth more at some times than at others, but it is there for us every day. The offer of a new beginning. That's good news, my friends. That's something you need to know. It's something you need to take to heart. You need to embrace it. I don't know where you are today. Maybe you need to hear this particularly today. But it's for every one of us sitting here. Now, there are a couple of things that uh, I think we need to understand about this. First, we need to know that God's mercies, his compassions, are there for you no matter how bad the things are which you have done and no matter how bad life is. The Apostle Paul knew that truth firsthand. So he wrote to his uh, protege, Timothy, a couple of letters, right, in that very first one, that first letter, in chapter 1 and verse 15. He, he says this. He says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. 
Now, you may think you're the worst sinner that's ever lived. I know I have felt that way often. But Paul claimed that title long before any of us were ever born. And Paul understood something. He understood he was an example for the rest of us. When he, when he followed up that claim as being the worst of sinners this way, but for that very reason, it was worst of sinners, he was shown mercy so that in him, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. You see, no matter how bad you are, God is there for you. He offers you a new start today. Look, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior, and if you don't even know what I mean by that, then I can almost assure you, you don't know him like I know him. But he's available to you. And, and you don't have to get better than you are. Truth is, you can't get better than you are. But he offers you today a new beginning, a new beginning with him where he will never leave you or forsake you, where you know your sins are forgiven, where you know you'll have eternal life. No matter how bad you are, God is there for you. And he offers you a new start. And no matter how bad life is, God's there with you. His mercies are new every morning. He's promised never to leave us or forsake us. And Paul, again, offers words of hope when he wrote in chapter 1 of Philippians, being confident of this. How glad I am for these words. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Until the day of Christ Jesus. If you belong to him, he will continue his good work in you. His mercies are new every morning. A life can be hard. It can be, seem so terrible. It can be so overwhelming. Our sins and our failures can weigh us down. But God is faithful every single day. He's faithful. Every day he offers you that new beginning. So our text, as we said, is from the book of Lamentations. And, and that whole book is about sorrows brought on by sin. The things, the circumstances in that book couldn't have been much worse. The people couldn't have been much worse. The times were as about as bad as they could ever get. Because of sin, God had allowed his nation and his people to be devoured by their enemies. But there it stands. In the midst of all of that awfulness, the promise of a new beginning because of God's good, good mercy. That's a message we need to hear. It's a message our world needs to hear. The worse things are, the more we need to hear it. Now, I have to tell you, much of the cynicism in our world results from the mess that people have made of their lives. But it's coupled with a, a, a lack of hope that things could be different. And I have to tell you, I can remember the despair and the hopelessness I felt because of the mess I'd made of my life. And the gospel, that forgiveness of sins and the new birth was a wonderful offer of a new beginning for me. And it has been for countless others down through the ages. And most of you here know exactly what I'm talking about. But you also know this. You failed afterwards, didn't you? You sinned again. I know my heart ached because of it, but I had this promise. I had this promise that his mercy was new 
every morning. And I knew this, that if I confess my sin, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The fact that God's mercies are new every morning is an extension of the gospel every day into the lives of God's people. It is a powerful message that we need to hear, that we need to take to heart. And the second thing we need to understand is that this promise is rooted in the character of God. We're offered a new beginning every day, not because we deserve it. We don't. We're not even offered to it. Uh, offered, it's not even offered to it, uh, us because we repent, though we must repent. It comes to us because of who God is. Verse 22, again, because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed for his compassions that never fail. God is love. Because he's love, he loves. <laughs> and we're not consumed. And by the way, that is what sin does. It consumes us. It eats us alive. So back in the day uh, when the women's liberation movement was finding its footing and like all other human endeavors, I'm not sure it's found it yet. I mean, a lot of good has come from it, uh, but there's also been a lot of abuses too. But there was a time when, when some woman, women would growl at a man who held the door open for them. They would complain to him, how dare you hold that door for me just because I'm a lady? I, I guess they kind of considered it as, as, I don't know, a statement that they were somehow too weak to open the door for themselves. And one older man who, who was a brunt of that complaint simply replied to the complainer. He said, Madam, I'm not holding the door for you because you're a lady. I'm holding the door for you because I'm a gentleman. You see, that's what gentlemen do. That's what they did in his day anyway. It was built into their character. And, and, and it doesn't matter what the times did. It didn't matter what the complaints were. It wasn't going to change him. You see, God offers us the new beginnings that he does because of who he is. He's love. He's the God whose mercies are new every single morning. And he offers them to us even though we sin, even when life is hard. Now, having said all of that, if we're not careful, it might sound like we're saying that sin doesn't matter. Someone might even be sitting here and they might be thinking, like many people have when it comes to this idea of grace, that there's always tomorrow and so I can be forgiven. And they enter into sin with their eyes wide shut. <laughs> I tell you, thinking like that is dangerous. Sin does matter. In fact, it, it, it mattered so much to God that he allowed his temple to be destroyed and his people to be defeated by their enemies. Jeremiah wrote the words that we're looking at this morning about new beginnings after the destruction of Jerusalem. I mean, sin matters, and it's dangerous to think otherwise. So how do we put those two thoughts together? One, that sin matters, and two, that God offers us a new beginning. Well, there are three things that we need to, to say about that. First, the new beginnings are offered to you from where you are, not where you would have been. 
In our text, this offer comes to those already in captivity. God offers them a new beginning as slaves in a foreign country. Not as free men and women in their own nation. If they had responded to God's multiple offers earlier, things could have been different. But they weren't. They could, have, they could have had a new beginning in their own country as free people sitting under their own fig tree and drinking the, the fruit of their own vines. Now that had passed them. That possibility no longer existed for them because sin matters. No new beginnings will alter those circumstances. But once you're there, they offer. The promise of God's mercy being new every morning is awfully good news. That is, if you're repentant, and if you're not, it means nothing at all to you. And secondly, the the new beginning is offered to what you are, not what you might have been. Jeremiah wrote the book of Lamentations. Uh, He also wrote the book that bears his name, and in that book, in chapter 18, he writes these words. I'd like you to listen to what he says. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. And so he went to the potter's house, and I I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hand. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. And, And then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord, like the clay in the hand of the potter, so you are in my hand. You see, God is shaping you into a really a wonderful and unique creation. And sin is always marring his work. And he's always correcting and reshaping. But sometimes, sometimes the sin is so bad that the original work has to be abandoned. And a new work has to take place. God's mercies are new every morning. He offers us a new beginning. But sin can make it so that you're less than what you would otherwise have been. Look, I know pastors who've walked away from the ministry into to, to sin that just ruined them. And God doesn't abandon them. His mercies are there for them. But their impact for the kingdom is forever changed. And even if the door were to open for them to be a pastor again, The lost years are never recovered because sin matters. And finally, we need to understand that sin matters because although God offers a new beginning every day, we may get to a point in our own lives where we cannot accept it even if it's offered. Sin can so corrupt us that we no longer want God's mercy. I've shared this story with you before, but a friend from my uh, growing up church, my home church that I grew up in, his name was Bob, and Bob worked for the phone company. He was a lineman, and he had a friend that worked with him. And, and Bob was a Christian. I mean, he loved Jesus with all his heart, and he shared the gospel with his friend over and over again. And one day that friend said to him, he says, you know what? I, I believe you're right. I, I believe Jesus really was the Son of God. I really believe he came. I believe he went to that cross and he died for my sin. But I don't want to accept him yet. See, I just want to live the way I want to live. And, 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 and before I die, I'm going to ask Jesus into my heart. Bob said to me, he said, you, 
You're crazy. I mean, you don't know when you're going to die. You could fall off a pole. You could get electrocuted. A bus could run over you, right? You're going to have a heart attack. He says, I know, but I'm going to take that chance. And Bob told him the gospel over and over again. It was always the same thing. Before I die, I'm going to ask Jesus in my heart. Bob retired, and then his friend retired. And then he heard that his friend was in the hospital and was never going to leave that hospital. He was dying of cancer. He got on the phone right away, and he called him. He said, I'm coming to see you tomorrow. His friend said, don't come. He said, don't come. And Bob said, why, why not? I, I don't want you to come. He, he said, but you, you were going to ask Christ into your heart before you died. You, that's what you've been telling me all these years. And, and we know you're not, you're not going to leave the hospital. He said, don't come. I don't want to talk to you about God. Sin can so corrupt us that we can no longer accept God's offer of mercy. That happens to the unbeliever, but I think it can happen to us. I think sometimes God has to just take us and put us on a shelf. Paul said, I I deliver them to the hands of Satan that they might be taught not to blaspheme. It can happen to us. Sin matters. Now, I said there were three things to say uh, uh, about why sin matters. There's a fourth thing, and I want to say it. <laughs> uh, I, I, I know I said there's three, but there's one more thing that I have to say before I can come to a close. I want to remind you of something. I want to remind you that Christ came to give you victory over sin. <laughs> we are not slaves to sin any longer. We, we in our weaknesses, still fail. But if you're faithful and you walk with Christ, you will be changed. See, he's constantly correcting our flaws, forgiving our sins. His blood cleanses us from all sin. He continues the good work that he began in us. He never abandons us. Instead, he works in us wherever we are to make us more and more like his son. And we are changed. I know I am. Thank God. Even I have been changed. I am not the man I once was. And I said this recently, but I get to say it again. If I look ahead and I see Christ, I know how far I've got to go. But if I look back and I see where I've come from, I know I am not the man I once was. When you walk with Christ, he changes you. The process seems glacial. It seems like it it barely moves. But you keep walking in that direction, and you're changed slowly and surely, and you are not the same person you were. Sin matters, but Christ matters more. So, so let, let me do this. Let me summarize the good news for you as we look forward to a new year. <laughs> See, if you want, there's a new beginning for you. It's there no matter how bad you are, no matter how bad your life is. Because of your sin, that new beginning may be in a different place than God originally intended. It may be necessary for God to reshape you into a different vessel 
than he first thought. Sin can even get you to a place where you don't want God's mercy, but it's there. That new beginning is there for you. You don't deserve it, and neither do I. It's not even there because you might repent of your sin. You must repent. (laughs) It's there because of who God is. And because of him, we're offered a clean slate, a new start every single day. And that's good news indeed. The offer from God to you today is for a happy new year. And if you accept that new beginning from his hand and his help, which is there for you along the way, you'll find a happy new year. You'll find good things in your life. And finally, can I do this now? It's just kind of the last thing to say is, can I just say to you, from me and my family to you and yours, with all of my heart, I wish you a happy new year. And may you have God's favor in your life now and always. Now I'm going to do one more thing here. Uh, I'm going to do something I haven't done for a while. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a benediction. I often close in prayer. But, uh, but in the old days, in the early days of the church, uh, a pastor was not always sure if he would see his people again or not. The persecution was intense. And so he would stand before the flock and he would raise his hand in a symbolic touching of everybody who was there. And then he would say over them the benedictus, the good words. We call it the benediction. So I'd like you to keep your eyes open and I'd like you to look at me if you would, please. May you go from this place knowing the God who offers you a new beginning every single day of your life. A God who loved you so much that he sent his one and only son to die to pay for your sin. May your life be changed every day because of him. You are If you belong to Jesus Christ, you are the salt and light of this world and the best hope that it has because you represent Christ. Go from here in his favor, in his peace, and in his power. In Jesus' name, amen.